Open to the book of Joshua, chapter 15. Continuing in our study of Joshua and trying to pull from this book things that are healthy for us, correlations, similarities that we can pull from this book into our Christian lives. Again, Joshua is the name, the Hebraic name for Jesus, and there are very many similarities between who he is and who Jesus is to us. The entering into the promised land is our entering into the promise that God has for us. And we started going through these chapters, and we're still going to go through them pretty rapidly. I I hope to get through chapter uh, 17 tonight, but there are a few things that are, are pretty important, I think, in these chapters that I want to stay on and touch on a little bit. In chapter 15, we see, first of all, that the allotment for the tribe of Judah, clan by clan, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin, in the extreme south. The southern boundary started at the bay, at the southern end of the Salt Sea, crossed south of Scorpion Pass, continued on to Zin, and went over the pass south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Kezron up to Adar and curved around. And I know without a map, how do you know curved around where? You know, it's kind of all just in a jumble there. And ran past Hezron, Adar, curved around to Karka. Uh, Judah was probably the, it was the largest of the tribes and it gained the most land. Uh, the large portion of the southern region was given to them. It's significant, the tribe of Judah, it's probably the most significant tribe because that's where King David came from. And it is also the line from where the Messiah came. And so the tribe of Judah is something we've probably heard and it's been in our minds a lot, oh, the tribe of Judah, more than some of the other tribes. We, we talked Sunday about the Levites and their inheritance, but here we see Judah, they get this large portion, portion of land. Um, verse 12, it says... If you jump down to verse 12, it says that these are the boundaries around the people, Judah, by their clans. And we're going to see by their clans. And so as the allotments was given to each tribe, it was based on the clans. In other words, if there was a lot of people, then they needed a lot of land. And so it was kind of given to them to accommodate their needs. We spoke last time about the lots that were given it was kind of like rolling dice okay how how is this going to work out and we don't have all the details but we know that it was given out in accordance to what the needs were and god gives us according to our needs have you found he doesn't give you what you want but he does give you the things that you need he does supply for our needs he never says that he supplies for our wants but what is necessary that he's going to allot for. And so they had a large region because they, again, were the largest of the tribes. The largest portion, nearly half of the southern region, was given to them. And then in verse 13, we get a familiar person again comes into the picture. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah. Kareth Abra. That is Hebron. The word Hebron means fellowship. Abra was the forefather of Anak. Now, 
in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb. We talked about Caleb a little bit last time. Caleb was Joshua's right-hand man. He was the guy who was with Joshua at the beginning when they were in Kadesh Barnea, scouting out the land. He and Joshua were the only two that came back with a good report. Of the 12 that went, he and Joshua came back and said, the land is ours. They got grapes the size of basketballs. We need to go in there and take this place. Everyone else was saying, oh man, the, the land is filled with giants. That's the Anakins that we touched on last time and the, mentioned here. Man, it, they're too big for us. They're strong. The cities are fortified. We can't do it. And Caleb was one who said, what are you talking about? We can do this. We saw it last week that he was 85 years old and he wanted that land. Well, here it says that he is given a portion in Judah, which leads us to believe that he wasn't actually a part or originally a member of God's chosen family, but was brought in. He was given into the tribe of Judah. It leads us to believe or suggest that we have to find a place for Caleb. God has promised him a portion. Moses has promised him a portion. So it goes in with this tribe here. We talked about how he took that hill country and wanted that, and we see that he has a little bit more here. It shows us, I believe, that God is willing to receive whoever will come to him. And not only receive them, but bring them into the fold and make them a part of his family. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God will also give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, if you want to be a part of the inheritance, God is willing to receive you, but you, you need to want to be a part of it. You need to be willing to step into that place. And that's what we need to desire. In Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, beautiful verses, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. God has a fullness for us if we will come to him. And Caleb, although he was not apparently a part of the tribe of Judah was given a lot into the biggest of tribes, the tribe with the most significance, the one that is known probably uh, most of all the tribes because of Christ coming from there. Caleb was given into this tribe because he was faithful to God, because he, he numbered himself with them. Caleb, it's interesting, his name means dog. That's what the name Caleb means. And it's interesting that this name, you know, what you kind of think of a dog as, well, what are dogs known for? They're kind of known for being man's best friend, right, for being loyal. And Caleb here was loyal to Joshua. And it reminds me of our Joshua, Jesus, and the work of the Holy Spirit, whose job was not to speak of himself, but to declare only the things about Jesus. 
You know, Caleb doesn't have a prominent place, but he was there for Joshua throughout the whole time. He was his servant, he was humble, he was faithful, and he has that kind of a role in his life as well. And so he's given this place and this, this area of tribe of Judah. It says that, again, in the last portion, 14, it says, from Hebron, Caleb drove out three Anakites, Sishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. And we talked about Anak was the descendants also from where Goliath came from. They were giant men. They were people who were imposing and were strong in the people's eyes. And he was given and he drove them out. We're going to talk about that a little bit more Sunday. That's, he's going to kind of be our topic. But from there, he marched against the people living in Debir, verse 15, formerly called Kirith Safar. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksah in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kaphah Safir. Athaniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aska to him in marriage. That means that they were cousins. There wasn't anything in the law against cousins being married, and that's what we see here. Caleb probably knew that his nephew had eyes for his daughter. That's, this probably was a setup. Whoever wants this region, you go and take it, you get the girl. Must have been something that was worth it because he went and did it. You know, he's, it, was, it was something that pulled him in, and it, it's interesting to think about. I mean, it's one of those things that you see in the movies, you know, the king says, whoever, you know, conquers the giant or the dragon, you know, I just saw one of the Disney cartoons where Mickey Mouse, you know, killed the giant and he got Minnie Mouse. Um, it's just one of those kinds of stories where if you do this, you get my daughter and he does it and he gets the girl and it's kind of a, a neat picture because he'll do it for love. You know, I, I want her, I want to be a part of this and so he does it. And he gains her hand in marriage. In verse 18, it says, One day she came to Athenial. She urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. I, I see a lot of endearing things and I, I see that there's a good family relationship here. That she goes to her husband and says, hey, let's go to dad and let's get a place for us to establish ourselves. And so she goes and he sees her and he's like, okay, what do you want? You know, it's my daughter. Daughters always want something. You know, anyway, it, it, it's kind of this thing, okay, and, and she asks, and, and she asks for a spring of water, and what does he do? He gives her two. She goes, I want the lower springs, and he gives her the upper springs as well. And I can't help but think of the Lord in this area of he will give the Holy Spirit to them who ask. You know, he, he desires to give us more than we really recognize and he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. And sometimes we have not because why? We ask not. All she had to do was come to him and say, Dad, I'd like this and I'd like that. And he said, you've got it. Not only that, you've got this too. And the blessings of God come to those who ask. And I don't know why it is we feel we can't ask. Maybe we don't believe. 
that he'll really answer us? Maybe we feel we don't deserve it. Well, guess what? You don't. But he's your father. He wants to give it to you. My kids never had a problem saying, Dad, do I deserve this? They've never asked me that. They've never asked, do I deserve that? They just ask for it. Why? Because there's a relationship there that's healthy. They get it because they're my child, because I love them, because I want to bless them. I want to do all I can to help them move their lives forward. And so Caleb does the same with his daughter. She comes to him, asks, and so the guy marries well. You know, he gets, he gets Caleb's daughter and then he gets the lower and upper springs as well. And this was an inheritance to the tribe of Judah. Again, we see clan by clan. And so he gives it out to them and takes care of them in this matter and helps them through these things. In verses 20 to 63, we see a long list that is divided basically into 12 parts to the different tribes. I am not going to go through all those names. God bless you guys. Um, I, I've read through it, and again, you know, I'm, I'm reading through it and reading with a commentary to pull out things because a lot of these names, I'm like, I don't know who that is. And okay, I know who this is, but I, I what, what region is that? And I'm looking on maps, and again, it was very meaningful for them, and maybe the Lord will give you something as you go through it as well. There's definitely more here than I'm pulling out of it, but I'm not going to go through all these names at this point. So we're going to jump to chapter 16. And it starts off, the allotment for Joseph began at the Jordan of Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, and went up from there through the desert and into the hill country of Bethel. Now, the allotment that is given to Joseph, this is kind of interesting. Because Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And we see here in chapter 16 an allotment that is given to Ephraim. And then in 17 we see an allotment that is given to Manasseh. Now, who was Joseph's father? Jacob. Jacob. Right. Jacob is also Israel. Same person. His name was changed when he wrestled with God and he said, you will no longer be called Jacob, you are now Israel, which means he was governed by God from that point. Okay, so we see that the nation was given 12 different spots for the tribes, but Joseph, who was Jacob's favorite, remember the whole coat thing and, and the whole, you know, getting sold out by his brothers and out of the 12 sons that Jacob had, Joseph was his favorite. And Joseph gets basically two allotments, one for each of his sons, for Manasseh and for Ephraim. Now, they each got a portion, and so you've got 12 tribes, but this one group gets two portions, so that makes 13 except for one group didn't get any land, right? With the Levites. Remember, the Levites, their inheritance was the Lord. So how many tribes are in the land? Well, it depends how you look at it. You know, maybe 13 now that you've got these two split, but then one of them didn't get any land, so it's still just split up 12 ways. Why am I saying this? 
hopefully I've got a point. One of the things that it's interesting with Manasseh and with Ephraim, we see that Manasseh was born first, but Ephraim is given pre preeminence. He's given the priority to the land. He's given the first allotment and then Manasseh is given the second allotment. And this is something that happens. This is a very fertile ground. It's something that was, um, that's given to both of them. It's good territory. They're each given a portion um, that's very fertile and very beautiful. And verse 10, we see that they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. It's an old place. It's old Gezer. Uh, to this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. And so they took this area, but they didn't take it completely. In chapter 17, we see now the allotment that is given to Manasseh. Again, it's a good region, but one of the things that's interesting, and it's interesting throughout the Old Testament especially, we see a number of firstborn and secondborn, as well as twins. The first children, Cain and Abel, who was the oldest? Cain. Who was the one who was blessed? Abel. Jacob and Esau. Who was born first? Esau. Who was given the blessing? Jacob. Manasseh and Ephraim. Who was born first? Manasseh. Who was given the blessing? Ephraim. In fact, in uh, Numbers chapter 27, when Moses talks about them, um, wait, no, I'm jumping ahead. In uh, Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is blessing Joseph's sons. And he crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. The right hand was the hand of blessing. That was the one who got the preeminence. Remember, Jesus is seated where? On the right hand of God, the Father. What does that mean? It means you're the one who has the right spot. And so when he saw his dad putting his hand on his children and he saw him put his right hand on Ephraim, he tried to switch it. He picked his hands and he put them and Jacob said, knock that off. I know what I'm doing. He's going to be blessed above his brother. His brother's going to be blessed too, but he has the more important spot. And we see this happening. Why? Does God love the younger children more than the older ones? Well, my youngest son would think so, but that's not what's happening here. I, I believe there is a picture of there is the first birth and there is the second birth. That God has allowed us to be born, but we need to be born again. And there is a more powerful position in the second birth than even in the first. And I see there is a picture of this that kind of takes place throughout the children that are, are a type for us to learn from. And so we see the second birth gets the second blessing. Now, something similar happens with Manasseh. We see that Manasseh has this occupation and this territory, and they have their region. But we go down to verse 12, and we see yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, 
but did not drive them out completely. So we see the same thing happens with Ephraim. They did not drive them out completely, but used them for forced labor. Manasseh did the same thing. They didn't completely do that. And it's interesting because there is a danger that takes place with them because they were not faithful to do what God had called them to do. In Numbers 33, verse 55, the Lord says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. They will give you trouble. And we see in the book of Hosea, especially with Ephraim, in Hosea 4.17 it says, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. It says later on in Hosea 7, verses 8 and 9, Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat cake not turned over. Foreigners sap out his strength. He does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. And what he's saying is Ephraim has compromised. The nations that they are living with are infiltrating their beliefs and are diluting their strength. And so their hair is sprinkled with gray, but they don't know it. And that idea is they're getting old, they're getting frail, but they don't realize it. And why? Because they have partnered with those they're with, they're living with. Those who are in the land that they didn't cast out have now polluted them. They've become barbs in their eyes. And you see, if we do not deal with those areas in our lives, they will infiltrate our life. If we do not cast it out completely, it will pollute who we are. And we need to be careful and deal with the things that God wants us to deal with. We, we don't toy, we don't compromise. We don't say, well, God, I'll, I'll give you some of this, but I'm gonna keep some of this sin in my life. You can have that sin and that sin, but I'm gonna hold on to this sin for a while because I like this one it's going to corrupt the whole loaf. A little leaven leavens the whole dough. And so both Ephraim and Manasseh were not faithful to do this, and it affected them, and it affected the whole nation because they didn't cast out the Canaanites. The Canaanites started infiltrating, growing, and contaminating who they were as a nation. And it's something that will happen with us if we are not careful. God has called us to be holy, to be complete, to be mature in these areas. And we cannot delude ourselves and think that we can toy and play with these things. We can't. And we see that evident in here and how they live their lives. And what a lesson for us to learn. Better to deal with it now than to let it just kind of settle in and fester. You know, if I had a, a cool glass of water and I just put a little drop of arsenic in it and say, hey, it's mostly water, go ahead, have some. Would you say, okay, yeah, it's mostly water. It's just got a little bit of poison in it. 
I'm not gonna hurt you just a little bit, poison. Yeah, a little might kill you. And so you have to be careful that you don't make the compromises that end up polluting your own life and causing damage to your own life. And, and that's what happened with both of these tribes. Here in chapter 16 with Ephraim and also in chapter 17 with Manasseh. Now it goes on talking about Manasseh and there's another lesson that I, I think is important and something that's uh, important for us to learn as well. Um, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 17, it says, now, these names, Zelopahad, something like that, son of Hefer, he's a big guy, um, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters whose names were Maniah, Noah, Hagla, she's a big girl too, she kind of a porker, uh, Milka, and Talza. I got to do something with these names, you know, just they stand out. Now, verse 4, it says, They went to Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So Joshua gave them an inheritance along with the brothers of their father, according to the Lord's commands. Now, this is a real interesting portion of Scripture, and I hope to share why and, and just give us cause to be in wonder of God. Moses had told these daughters of Zelopad, or Zelopohed, however you pronounce his name, they'd made a deal with them because they didn't produce any sons, we still have a right as daughters to the inheritance. We have as much a right to this inheritance even though we are the girls, we're not the guys, we still have a right to this. And in Numbers 27, Moses agreed with that. He made a stipulation in chapter 36 of Numbers that, okay, you can have the inheritance of Manasseh even though there are no sons born. You can have this inheritance, but it has to be with people of the tribe of Manasseh. In other words, you can't marry someone from the tribe of Judah because now the tribe of Judah is going to have part of the Manasseh's tribe. It has to stay in your tribe. And so there was this agreement made. And why is this important? This is important because the tribe of Manasseh and these girls are going to play directly into the lineage of Jesus. And I want to take a little bit of time and hopefully just touch on these things to make us understand why this little clause that these girls can have the inheritance, because this was an unusual thing. It was usually passed down to the sons, but here these girls got the inheritance even though they were the women. They said, you can have it. It will be given to you because Zelopad didn't have any boys. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look a little bit at the genealogy of Jesus, just briefly. And in Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he goes from Abraham and he starts talking about all those who are in line. In verse 6 it says, 
and Jesse, they're the father, the king of David. And so we come to David. Remember, the Messiah was promised to David. And that's why David is going to figure strongly into this genealogy and where it comes from. But go on to verse 11, and it says, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of exile of Babylon. And so Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. Now, Jeconiah is an important name because he was just a bad guy. Jeconiah did not do well. In fact, he did so poorly that he was cursed. And turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 22. You'll see how he was cursed. Jeremiah chapter 22, starting at verse 28. says, is this man Jehoiakim, a despised broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. No one is going to sit on the throne of Jonah, uh, David who is from this man's tribe. Now that presents a problem because in this genealogy in chapter 1 of Matthew, we see this man who is in there. This genealogy that is given in Matthew is the genealogy of Joseph. Joseph was not really the father of Jesus, right? He was the stepfather because he was born of a virgin. But you see, legally, the father has to be connected to the tri or to David. The, le the genealogy legally has to go down to the father, in this case, the stepfather, who is Joseph. But there's a problem spiritually because of this dude, Jeconian, or whatever his name is, Jehoiakim. This guy doesn't have any part of my inheritance, God says. He cannot have any of his descendants sit on the throne. Go to Luke now, chapter 3. We get another genealogy. This genealogy is of Mary. And it's very much the same in Matthew's. In verse 6 of chapter 3, we see all mankind will see God's salvation. John said, um, where am I? Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse, um, not 3. Verse 31. We see the son of Malaya, the son of Mena, the son of Matthia, the son of Nathan, the son of David. And so now we have David, but we don't have Solomon as his descendant. We have Nathan as his descendant. And as it goes down and it comes down 
to the first part of it, the son of Haliel, the son of Matthew, in verse 24. We'll start in verse 23, I'm sorry. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. So it was thought of Joseph. The son of Heel, the son of Math, that guy, Mathath, the son of Levi, the son of Melchah. Now what is, who is thought of the son of Joseph? What is talked about here is basically he was dealing with not Joseph as the father, but as the stepfather. But he was connected actually to Mary. Now, you see, the thing is, the son of Heli, I guess that's how you pronounce it, he didn't have sons, he had daughters. Mary was his daughter. Now, here's where I'm trying to make the connection, and I hope it's not too weird. But what happens is Mary is a part of the inheritance because they had no sons. And so the inheritance gets passed down to the daughters. Why? Because that's what the covenant was made with, with Moses, with these girls, the, the daughters of Zelohad. There were no sons, so it goes to the daughter. Mary had no brothers. And so the inheritance goes to her. You guys tracking with me? Is that making any sense? Joseph was aligned with David, the son to whom Jesus was now born, but he's the stepfather, and in his lineage was this guy who was cursed. Mary's lineage doesn't have the curse, and it gets transferred to her because she has no sons, because that's what was promised. If there were no sons, the daughters can get the inheritance. And so Mary gets it, and it bypasses the curse. And so Jesus legally is the son of David through Joseph, but he is spiritually the son of David through Mary. Why is this important? Because he had to be the son of David. Legally, as well as deal with this little loophole with that one guy who was cursed. Now, who else could fulfill this role? Nobody especially since in 70 AD, all the records were destroyed. How do you know who you're lineage from? You don't, because the records were destroyed. And so there is only one person who can fulfill being the son of David, bypass the curse that was given to the one guy and partake of the rights of the daughter given to the daughters of Solihad that was promised to them through Moses in Numbers. And the only person who can fulfill that is Jesus. You see, those are the kinds of things that just make you go, wow. Because how do you curse a guy and bypass the curse that you've promised was going to be extended to him? Well, here's the way. And how can anyone else claim to be the Messiah, the son of David, and fulfill that role when you don't even have the genealogies any longer? You can't. And so Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, and he is promised legally through his stepfather Joseph, and he is promised spiritually through the genealogy of Mary. Because Mary had no brothers, but there was a clause that said, if you have no brothers, the inheritance still goes to you. 
and Jesus fulfills that. And I find that amazing because we see here that he is really the only one who can fulfill this role and be the Messiah. And God knew this all along. God had this plan. And so if it wasn't for these girls back in Joshua chapter 17, the, the daughters of Zolahad, the tribe of Manasseh, if it wasn't for them going to Moses and saying, hey, what about us? We still deserve an inheritance. There wouldn't be that little clause that said, okay, if there are no sons, the daughters get the inheritance but they have to stay in that tribe. If there wasn't that little clause given, one can argue that Jesus did not have the right to this place in Messiah. Because, well, though legally he did through Joseph, there was this guy who was cursed. But now because of Mary and her lineage and not having any brothers, and these girls saying, what about us? We get the inheritance. God's saying, yeah, the girls get the inheritance too. Now we see that Jesus is qualified to continue through her line and her lineage. And I thought that was interesting as I read it. I don't know if I made it more confusing or not, but hopefully not, because it was something that I found to be pretty profound in these things. Now, it goes on. I want to go back down to verse 14 of chapter 17. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Sorry about that. It says, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous portion of, for an inheritance, or we are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. You knew this had to happen somewhere along the line, right? You knew it had to happen. I don't like our lot of land. You know, they're, they're casting out lots, they're making this. You knew someone had to complain. And, if, you know, I always say if you have, you know, one kid, you don't know what it's like to have two kids. Because once you have two kids, you get the it's not fair syndrome. Or you get he's got more than me. Or you've got the broken vase and no one knows who did it. I didn't do it. And, and now you have an out because maybe it's the other one, right? Well, here you have the, the people of Joseph's tribe, and they say, why did you give us this allotment? There's a lot of us. You should have given more for us in an inheritance. In verse 15, I love Joshua's response. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Raphites. In other words, if you want more, go take it. You're not, you're not invalids here. You can go in there and you can earn the land. In other words, if you want it, go get it. It's there for the taking. You have to take it. And it goes on in verse 16. The people of Joseph replied, The kill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in that plain have iron chariots, both those in Beth Shan its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel. In other words, well, no, it's not enough. Besides, it's going to be hard. They're tough over there. They're strong. They have iron chariots. And I love, again, Joseph's response, but, or Joshua's response. Joshua said to the house of Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh, 
You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill countries as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Through the Canaan, though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. You are stronger than you know. So first of all, he tells them, you want more? You have to go and get more. And then he tells them, you're able to do it. The Lord is with us, guys. You can do it. Doesn't matter if they have chariots that are strong. You are able to do this. And, and I love this encouragement and I love this picture because so many times people just want things given to them. You know, I'm having a hard time and I, I, I need to do this and I need to get this taken care of and can you give it to me? And Joshua said, y you need to go get it yourself. And then they said, it's too hard for me. I can't get it. There's too many obstacles in my way. You don't know what I have to do. It's gonna, I'm going to have to you know, get up early and I'm going to have to go to bed late and I'm going to have to sweat and I'm going to have to work hard. And Joshua says, you can do it. You're strong enough. And you can do it. And what a picture and example that is for us. Because God doesn't give us whatever we want and we have to go out and earn it and we have to fight for it and we have to battle it and the reason they didn't take this country and that territory is because they didn't want to apply themselves to earn it and if they wouldn't guess what you're not going to get it then there's plenty of land out there for you if you will go out and take it and then he tells them, you can take it. And I love that. I love the contrast that we see in Joshua. First he says, no, I'm not going to give you more. Go get it yourself. And then he encourages them and he says, you guys, you can do this. You can do this. And I wonder how long after Caleb's incident where Caleb comes up and he says, you know, the land where there's the giants, give me that land. I want to take it at 85 years old. And then these guys come up and I picture them, you know, 40 year old and strong. I can't take that land. It's too much for me. And I wonder if Joshua's just thinking, oh man, you know, Caleb, I'll just give it to Caleb then, you know, because he'll take it. No problem. But he doesn't get down on them and, and just beat them. He just says, no, you've got the inheritance. If you want it, you've got to take it. And he tells them, you guys, you can take it. It's not too much for you. You are strong enough to take that. And I believe that's an encouragement for us. The Lord would be telling us, you guys, if you want that victory in your life, if you want to accomplish those things, you have to go out. And he's also telling us, it's not too tough. It's not too hard for you. I'm with you. I will help you through it. And I believe that's a valuable lesson for all of us to learn that God has things for us, but we have to apply ourselves. We have to go out and earn it, work for it, fight for it, battle and conquer it. And God says, I'm with you. It's not too much for you. And so go ahead, go forth and take it. And that's what we need to do as well. well let's stop there. And we'll pick up next time. Let's pray.
Father, again, ask, Lord, that there would be things in here that we could just pull from and apply into our lives that would make us stronger, that would make us richer, Father, that would help us to understand you are with us and, and what you are able to do, and that you would go before us in these areas, Lord. I pray that you would give us just eyes to see, Father, ears to hear, and a heart to desire those things that you have for us. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.